Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. Thank you so very much, uh, Miriam. Thank you, Holly. Thank you, Phil. And thank you, the rest of the team, for making that possible. That's really what we need. We don't need to be fearful today. Uh, We need to tell fear. You know, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Fear comes from the devil. And regardless of the way the culture goes, we've got something greater in us. And we don't need to be fearful. And I think there's a beautiful, beautiful picture of a man in Scripture who was not fearful. He was not afraid to stand up for the truth. His name was Stephen. And we find his story in Acts chapter number 6. In fact, Acts chapter 6 and 7 is dedicated to his life, his ministry. It's quite fascinating in the life of Stephen. Stephen never saw, there's no recorded uh, history of Stephen winning someone to Christ. But he was a bold witness for Jesus Christ. And it's amazing to see how God used this man in his life to accomplish Saul, who will change his name to Paul, as he receives Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. Stephen's kind of a bridge. He's a bridge from Peter, who's preaching to the Jews, to Paul, who will come to the Gentiles. It's an amazing, amazing life. And I don't think we give Stephen enough attention, but uh, he is one that is worthy of attention in regards to the scripture for his courage and boldness in the face of adversity and difficulty. Let me show you what I'm talking about. If you have your Bibles in Acts chapter 6, cast your eye to verse number 8. Let's read the text today. The Bible says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and Cecilia, and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they subordinated men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. And set up false witnesses which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel." May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of the Word of God. Ruth Bell would later be known as Ruth Graham. Ruth had a sister named Rosa. They were missionaries to China. When Ruth Graham's mom and dad went to China, they forsook it all. And as they lived in China, sharing uh, the gospel with those in China... It was not unusual for Ruth and Rosa when they went to bed to say their nightly prayers. Ruth would get on her knees and 
she would begin to pray. And she used to pray every night that the Lord would let her be a martyr before the end of the year. She would pray and she would ask the Lord to let bandits break into her home, capture her, and behead her for Jesus' namesake. Her sister Rosa, who thought that that's so horrid, would finish the prayer by saying, Lord, please don't listen to her. We find in history that Ruth Bell, who later became Billy Graham's wife, was really not afraid to die. She was not afraid to die for her faith, even as a child. She had amazing courage in the face of communism. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I know that every election that we go through is vitally important. But you cannot argue the fact that over the course of American history, times have changed. Cultures changed. The things that we appalled five years ago, we accept today. Unfortunately, many Christian churches uh, that are so-called Christian churches across the landscape of the United States of America and around the world have embraced the culture instead of embracing the Word of God. Placing conservative Christians in a minority. And being in such a position, it's vitally important to not only know what we believe, but live out the truths that we believe in Scripture. With that thought in mind, it's so important that we clearly understand that if the current trajectory that we're on continues, then persecution will come to the United States. What's happening in California today with uh, John MacArthur's church he has been fined somewhere in the neighborhood now this week of over $60,000 because he's holding church services. How blessed we are to live in the South. But make no mistake, persecution is coming. And we must know what we believe. And not only do we need to just lay down and play dead, we need to see young men and women rise up with godly convictions that believe the Word of God and run for offices in such a way that they will not move to the right nor to the left but stay true to the Word of the living God. With that in mind, it's so vitally important that you and I as born-again children of God clearly understand if we're living in the end times and if the United States of America does not exist in the end times, then we are absolved into some other union. Then we must know what should we do as born-again children of God. I know that we get angry. You don't believe me, just look on Facebook. <laughs> we're an angry people. But the Bible tells us to be angry and sin not. How is it that we can live in the world and yet not be of the world? How can we live out our faith in such a way that when persecution comes, they will see Jesus in us? I do believe that God could bring revival to the United States once again. My heart's desire and prayer is that there would be a great spiritual awakening take place in our country, that we might... Uh, do as Second Chronicles says and confess our sins and repent and, and turn our faces towards God. But we would need a sincere, a sincere movement across the land where men, women, boys, and girls will draw a circle and get themselves in their circle and say, it's not a conservative issue, it's not a, a liberal issue, it is a sin issue, and we need to get right with God Almighty. And so as we prepare for what God has in store in days to come. 
Our eyes are cast to Acts chapter 6, to a man by the name of Stephen. Remember, the last time we were together in Acts chapter 6, we were noticing in the text that there were some organizational issues in the first century church that needed to be addressed. We find that God was using the apostles in such a mighty way that many wonderful works were being done and the church was growing. And, and some scholars say that by now there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 20,000 plus members of this church. And as people are coming to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord, we come to chapter number 6 and we see that the church has its first real challenge. They were what were called the Hellenists or the Grecians. They were upset with the Hebrews. Now remember, the Hellenistic Jews were those Jews that had come out of, uh, out of uh, the, the dysphoria, that they were distributed uh, all amongst, spread out all over the world. They're coming back to Jerusalem to worship. They're Jews, but they are not residents of Israel. They're not residents of Jerusalem. And so they're called Grecians or Hellenists. And these Hellenists come and they hear the gospel the apostles are, are teaching and preaching and they receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. And they get radically saved. The challenge comes that the Hellenists were always treated as second-class citizens amongst the Hebrews, the Judaizers, th those that were uh, there in Jerusalem. And so these individuals that had come to know Jesus Christ that were Hebrew lived there in Israel, lived there in Jerusalem. They kind of was a friction, if you would. There was a disagreement. And so through this, what ended up happening was that the, the uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says, In those days when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose this murmuring out of the Grecians, the Hellenistic Jews, against the, the Christian Jews there in the church because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution of things needed within the church. And so the Hellenists said, hey, when we were Judaizers, before we got saved, everybody was taken care of, our widows and everyone. But now that we're born again, we're being skipped. And it's the, Jude, it's the Jews' fault. And so Stephen calls the whole church together, and the Bible says that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, they are to appoint seven men full of faith, and full of the Holy Ghost. And of those seven men that they chose, two stand out more than any other. One by the name of Philip and the other by the name of Stephen. Chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Acts is dedicated to Stephen's life. We'll see Philip again in chapter 9. But Philip is called upon to go to the Hellenistic synagogues and to minister to those individuals that are there. Now what's fascinating to me is just simply this. In this area of the world, there were the Jewish synagogues and there were the Hellenistic synagogues. They were both Jewish synagogues by nature, but the Grecians spoke Greek. So they went to the Grecian synagogue, and we find that the Jews went to the Hebrew-speaking synagogue. And so when you look at the text, that's why you see in verse 9, it seems to be a shift in recipients that are hearing the gospel. Look at what the Bible says in verse 9. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines. Who are these? These are the Hellenists. These are those that have come out of Pompey's ensiegement, and they have come to Jerusalem to worship, and while they're worshiping, they got saved. And now that they're saved, Stephen has been called upon 
to go minister to their widows, but not just their widows. That daily menstruation, the daily distribution that he was to participate in was also speaking of the truth of Jesus Christ. And so he goes to the Greek-speaking synagogues there in chapter number 6 and verse 9, and there are Cyrenians there, there are Alexandrians there, there are those from Sicilia there, and there are those from Asia, and they're disputing Stephen. Now what's fascinating about this is through this Greek-speaking synagogue, you've got all these different cultures. Some of these cultures come out of Africa. Others come out of Asia. And they're all congregating there. They all speak Greek. And we find that they are disputing against Stephen. Now the word disputing here in verse number 9 means to question Stephen on his theology concerning Jesus Christ. So some of these that have not received Jesus Christ as their Savior, the leaders of the synagogue, the Greek-speaking synagogue, say, wait a minute, you're pulling people away from the teaching that we have. We crucified Jesus. He's dead, and y'all stole his body. And Stephen says, I beg to differ. We didn't steal the body of Jesus. He rose from the grave. We saw him. We've got 500 people that are testifying. In fact, well, we've got over 20,000 people that are willing to stake their life on the fact that Jesus is the Messiah ascended into heaven, and he's coming again. And by the way, you're the one that crucified him. And so we find here that as, as they're disputing Stephen, verse number 10, the Bible says they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Now, I'd underline that word resist because it means to oppose. Stephen spoke in such a way with wisdom and full of the spirit of God to the point that they could not oppose what he was saying. And so we find that as he's standing there all alone, an army of one, preaching, if you will, to this Greek-speaking synagogue, no opposition is coming to him. It's over. After he's done, he walks away. Verse 11, then. The suborned men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Now, I'd underline that word suborned because what does it mean? It means someone who was bribed to do something wrong. So you see what happened here. The religious people did not like what Stephen was saying. They could not come against what, Jesus, what Stephen was saying. As a matter of fact, Stephen was pointing people to Jesus. Jesus was pointing people to himself as his Messiahship, and they didn't like that. And you know what they did to Jesus. So they turned and began to do the same thing to Stephen. They hired some individuals to tell a lie. They bribed them to speak against him. And the Bible says in verse number 12, And when these bribed individuals stirred up the people and the elders. Now, these are the lost people. These aren't the saved people. These are the elders, the leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, if you would. The Bible says they came to Stephen, and they caught him, and they brought him to the council. He had already gone. He had already left. He had made his peace, and they could not dispute what he had said. So they hired somebody to say, I want you to start telling lies about this and go stir the people up. that sound familiar what's happening today? They grab Stephen, bring him to the council. And in verse 13, the Bible says that they also set up false witnesses. That is a false spectator 
a lying spectator which said, Stephen will not stop talking about this blasphemous mess that he's in and against this holy place pointing to the temple. And not only is he speaking against the temple, he's also speaking against the law that Moses gave us. That's very important because uh, we find here in the text uh, in regards to this issue of them speaking against Moses and against God. In verse number 11, it's worth noting, they put Moses before God. This is the problem. They always put Moses before God. And so in verse number 14, we we see this false witness say this, For we have heard him say, That this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the custom which Moses delivered to us. And the whole time Stephen's sitting there. And the Bible says in verse 15, And all that sat in the council, the scribes, the elders, all the leadership, they looked steadfastly. That word is so fascinating. It means to look with such great intent. They're looking for guilt on the face of Stephen. And what do they see? On his face, they see, as it were, the face of an angel. When you read this passage of Scripture, you see a man who is so full of the Holy Spirit of God, who has Jesus inside of him to the point and to the capacity that regardless of what's going on in his culture, He has one goal and one goal only, to point people to Jesus Christ. He is not aware at this particular moment in time that he is about to give a sermon that is going to scathe the Grecian leadership, just as Peter did in regards to the Jewish leadership. And as he does so, it will so infuriate them that they will kill him. The Grecians will turn to one man who will consent to the death of Stephen, a man by the name of Saul. We'll see Saul again. We'll see Saul get knocked off a horse as the blinding gospel of Jesus Christ penetrates him to the point that he cannot resist. And he comes to know Jesus Christ as Savior. But as Stephen prepares to die, we notice that there are five simple truths that we can apply to our lives as persecution begins to approach the church closer and closer every day. Let me give them to you today. And I know anytime you preach on persecution, it ain't one of them hallelujah, throw the Bible, throw the baby up in the air, shouting hallelujah, praise God, let it come on. I understand that. But we cannot neglect this portion of scripture it's vital for us today church it's vital for you today God did not call us to run and hide God called us to go and proclaim so number one the first thing I want you to notice when persecution comes your faith tank must be full when persecution comes your faith tank must be full notice what the Bible says in verse 8 The Bible says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now remember this. The Bible, again, has not been completely written. 
And God has set a very special anointing on the apostles as well as the disciples as those apostles had laid their hands on the disciples. And as they laid their hands, we find that there are many disciples who are not apostles that do great works in getting the attention of many people for one purpose and one purpose only. Not to grow their ministry, but to point people to Jesus. You see, we ought to be weary today of those individuals that call themselves apostles today and they have one desire, and that's to grow their ministry. The goal of the church here at Maysville Baptist Church is not to grow the ministry for growth's sake. The goal of this ministry is to point people to Jesus. And in pointing people to Jesus, I promise you, we're not going to be popular amongst the direction of our culture because the Word of God is contrary to the culture. Yet the Word of God says that if we're going to see God do great and mighty and powerful things, we've got to be full of faith and full of power. If we're going to stand in the midst of persecution and we're going to say Jesus is not, is not a way, but he is the only way to get to heaven, persecution will come. And if we're going to make those kind of statements, our faith tank has got to be full. We see Stephen was full of faith. Uh, many years ago, I was in Uganda, and, and I can remember being in Uganda and hearing the people talk about how, how desperate uh, they were during the reign of Idi Amin that his leadership would fall by the wayside so that the Christians would stop being persecuted. There was a great uprising within the underground church in Uganda during those seasons under the leadership of Idi Amin where the church was growing and Idi Amin was doing everything in his power to eliminate the Christian voice. He was killing Christians left and right and bold, in bold faith, in bold power, Christians were saying, I will not, I will not reject Jesus Christ as Messiah. When I was in Indonesia, I preached at a church and they had warned me before I went to the church they said you were assigned to go to a church in the city and when you get there the doors are going to be open they will not shut the doors of the church but it has been reported in in days past that they had firebombed the church on several occasions and don't be surprised if they do it this time well, man I'll be honest with you I was a little bit nervous I didn't know what to expect. I said, man, I bet there won't be but 10 people show up, threats, people going to blow up the church. Some white dude from America is going to come and preach. Don't even understand him. He's got to have an interpreter and God help that person. I, I get to the church and they take me to the pastor's house. They sit me down and it's morning. I mean, it's Sunday morning, first day of the week. They said, we got you some breakfast, Pastor. I said, oh, praise God. I walk over to the kitchen table, and there has been prepared for breakfast fish. I asked if they had any biscuits. They did not. And they didn't have uh, any orange juice either, but they had mango juice. And so with all that I could do, I prayed for the food. I said, Lord, if I get it in my mouth, will you keep it down? <laughs> and he did. Thank you, Lord. And we were all done with breakfast, and 
was preparing to go over to the church which was just in front of the pastor's house. I walked in and to my surprise the place was packed. There was not another seat in the place. I turned to the pastor and said, did they not know that, that they may bomb this place today? He said, oh, they know. Their faith is greater than your fear. I stood behind the pulpit that day and learned a great lesson. The truth is greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. As I preached the gospel that day, the only thing that entered the building while I was preaching was a dog. You ought to be in the mind of a preacher when he's preaching in a foreign land as he's trying to preach and there's chickens flying in the windows and pigs walking down the aisle, but this time there was a dog. He walked uh, from the back of the church, he walked all the way up to the pulpit and he laid down right there and looked at me the whole time I was preaching. <laughs> I wanted to go over there to that passage of scripture that said, watch him dogs. <laughs> I preached the gospel that day and gave an invitation. It never got firebombed. Several people did. It, a few people did come in the back and sit down on the back row. But during the invitation, a little lady stood up on this side and came forward, tears running down her face. She turned from Islam and accepted Jesus Christ as her Messiah. And then another individual came from this side and came forward and gave their heart to Jesus Christ. Mark, they were not afraid to forsake Islam and trust Christ as their Savior, even if, it, even if it costs them their life. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to prepare for persecution, we have got to have that kind of faith. Our faith tank must be full. And the fullness of our faith tank will produce the power by which we speak. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says Stephen, in verse 8, full of faith and full of power. And the Bible tells us that he did great wonders and miracles among the people. The wonders and miracles that we see today, the wonders are the boldness of our witness and the miracle is a lost person coming to know Christ as Savior. When persecution comes, your faith tank must be full. Number two, let me give you a second one. When persecution comes, your reactions will be revealed. When persecution comes, your actions will be revealed. We know this to be true. Take persecution out of the equation and just put somebody cutting you off in traffic. Can I get a witness right there? When this happens, your reaction will be revealed. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 10. The Bible says that as they disputed Stephen, verse 10 says, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. What was coming out of Stephen? What was revealed from him? What was revealed from him when his faith tank was full was this sincere wisdom that he had and this amazing spirit by which he spake. He was speaking from the position of the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of him and the wisdom which came out pointed people back to the scriptures. Jesus is who he says he is. And they could not dispute him. They could not oppose him. 
Today in the day and culture in which we live in, when persecution comes, our reactions will be revealed. Could I just ask you a question, dear friend? Today, when you're pushed to the edge, today, when your faith is in question, today, when you're pushed over the edge, how do you respond? Your reactions are showing. You're the only Bible many people see. And so when you blow up in a restaurant and people know that you go to Maysville Baptist Church, they may scratch their head and say, that's why I'm not going there. And people are crazy. When persecution comes, your actions will be revealed. We are in the midst of, I don't know if it's a pandemic or an outbreak. CDC has this thing, this tendency to change it every time you turn around. I'm not quite sure what we're in, but we're obviously in something. And in regards to that something, we want to take the health concerns seriously. That's why we have online church. That's why we have in on-campus church. We have in-home groups. We spread everybody out. We're doing everything that we possibly can do to make sure that we're doing our part and do what the book of Romans says in regards to respecting those that God has put in authority over us to the extent they do not break the commandments of God in the laws of God in regards to the New Testament. When they trample over the grace of God and tell us to do things that are unreasonable, it is better to obey God rather than man. And so to try to shut the church down just to keep the church silent, just to keep the gospel message from going out, that is contrary to Scripture. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And I thank God that at Maysville Baptist Church, we've, we've never stopped service. Throughout the course of these 26 weeks, we have always, you've always been able to be a part, whether it be online or listening to the radio. And then when it was to the point where we could get people in and we could spread out a little bit, we were there, we were doing that. Why? Because this is vital to the health of our church. It's vital to the health of our community. It's vital to the health of our country. And when the church is taken away, we're the only thing that God is using against the evil that is being expressed through the airways today in our country. When persecution comes, your reactions will be revealed. How do you respond when persecution enters your life? The Greek word for wisdom here is only used four times in the book of Acts. Twice it's used of Stephen. And twice it's used for the message before the Sanhedrin. There is he speaking. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, the Bible says this. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Thus, wisdom comes from knowing God and knowing the Scriptures. If you want to communicate wisdom in the midst of persecution, you had better have spent time with Jesus. When persecution comes, your reactions will be revealed. Number three, let me hurry. I'm running out of time. When persecution comes, God's truth will be perceived as your lies. Look at what the Bible says in verse 11. The Bible says, Then they subdued men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They're not Jesus' words, they're his words. What was, what was Stephen speaking of? 
He was speaking of Jesus. He was speaking of the Messiah. The persecution that's coming against him is being perceived as his lies. He's the one lying. He's the one that's blasphemous. Dear brothers and sisters, if you don't believe this is happening today, I beg you, please, get your head out of the sand. We are seeing this every single day across America today. Just look at our stance on homosexuality. Where have, how far have we come? Ask your kids how they feel about homosexuality in regards to this issue of being acceptable or not. Ten years ago, just ten years ago, we were in a position where we'd say, well, we just have to stay with what the Word of God says, and, and, man, we need to, and then we start questioning the Word. Well, maybe God's not that bad in God's eyes. Because the culture is always pushing against us. And the only way to stop us from pushing back is to persecute us. What they don't understand is when that persecution comes and drives the church underground, it explodes for the glory of God. Just think about this for a minute. The Old Testament says in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. The New Testament agrees by saying this. Homosexual, homosexual offenders are among a list of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God unless they are cleansed through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Culture, Christ. Where do we stand? And you can't straddle. Persecution is before us. You don't believe me? What about marriage in general? The highest court in the land has adjudicated that marriage is no longer between a man and a woman. When God, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Jesus, Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 and 5, Jesus reaffirms as he says this. He answered and said, Have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. That's not what our culture believes. If you believe the word of God, you believe different than the culture. Can I give you a third one just Thinking about the state in which we're in. What about when life begins? The Bible says that a preborn child is a child. Scripture tells us in Psalms chapter 139, verses 13 through 16, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, O God, and that my soul knows well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. In your book they were all written, and the days were fashioned for me, when as yet they were none of them. Jeremiah 1.5, we know the context of this verse is speaking of the children of Israel, but the scriptural principle still reigns true. The application is true. The scripture says, God saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. 
brothers and sisters, in regards to Jeremiah's calling, we too know by application God's done the same. There's nobody like you. There's nobody that has the personality like you. There's nobody that has the giftedness that God has given them but you. There's nobody that God wants to use more than you. So does God doesn't need to use me. Listen, he don't need any of us, but he chooses to use us. He chose to use Jeremiah. He says, I knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. So how is God concerned with the preborn? Galatians chapter 1 verse 15 says this. But when he had set, when he had set me apart before I was born, and it called me through his grace. That's what Paul said. Paul said, he called me before I was ever born. Now, you remember what Paul, again, Paul is consenting to the death of Stephen at this juncture. And yet Paul says that through God's sovereignty, he allowed the persecution of Stephen to be brought into my life to such a capacity that I will trust Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. So the question then is, are preborn humans, are preborn human beings, are the preborn human beings? Listen to what the Bible says in Luke chapter 1, verse 41 and 44. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the baby inside of her leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, saying, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. When does life begin? According to the Bible, conception. Our culture believes differently. Just on those simple three points alone, if you believe the Bible, you participate in hate. I want to make it very clear. I do not hate anybody. I love everybody. I only want to do God's will and preach God's word. The challenge that exists in our culture today, brothers and sisters, is over an issue of sin. And the only way to resolve what's going on in our culture today is to recognize that we're sinners and to come to Jesus Christ with the love and grace and mercy that He has for us and accept what He has to offer, and that is freedom from sin. That we might be born again and know where we're going to spend an eternity. That we could repitulate or that we might be able to continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. Though Christianity, true biblical Christianity, is anything but separating, if you would, culture in relationship to God. It's bringing culture to God. But how will they know without a preacher? How will they hear lest one is sent? How will they see unless one lives before them? When persecution comes, God's truth will be be perceived as your lies. Let me give you two more and I close. Number four, when persecution comes, half-truths will be full lies. Look at verse number 14 again. Notice what he says there in the text. He says, for we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. That word, this place, is referring to the temple. He says, he's going to tear down this temple, and he's going to change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Is that what Stephen was saying? No. This half-truth has become a full lie. 
Now, we find in Scripture very, very plainly in regards to this that this false accusation alludes to Jesus' words that were spoken almost three years before he was crucified. John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise up. The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you say you're going to rise it up in three years? But he was not speaking of the temple. He was speaking of his body. Jesus said, my body is the temple. And when I die on the third day, I'm going to rise up. It'll take three days, but it's going to happen. In relationship to our text, I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, quote, in other words, Stephen was charged finally with being a Christian. He was charged with being a follower of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all that was involved uh, and implied in that. Here's the question. Have you ever been charged with being a full follower of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I like what John Piper said about this text. Listen to what he said. What Jesus meant when he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will rise, raise it up, was that, was that he himself was taking the place of the temple. By dying for sin once and for all and by rising up from the dead to reign as the everlasting priest and Lord of glory. When I die, the temple system dies, Jesus said. And when I rise, I am the temple. I am the sacrifice for sin. I am the priest and the go-between with God. I am the presence and radiance of his glory. The temple is finished. When we speak that kind of language, persecution will come. And here's the fifth and final one. My time is up. When persecution comes... Your critics will ultimately look to your countenance. These are the things that Stephen did. And look what happened in verse number 15. The Bible says, And all that sat in council, the accusers, the persecutors, those that were looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Henry Ironside said about this passage of Scripture, listen to what he said. He said, and I quote, I wish I could have a photograph or a picture of Stephen standing before the council, listening to all those false accusations and noticing the expressions of rage and ridicule and indignation on the faces of his accusers. Yet he stood there looking at them with a radiant countenance full of love, trust, peace, and confidence. Undisturbed by all the bitter things that were being said. His heart was not filled with malice because of their hatred toward him. But joy in the realization that he was there as Christ's faithful servant. Remember who is here. Don't forget this. Saul is there. And Saul will consent. He, he will say... After Stephen, will, he's going to preach his message next week. Stephen's going to start preaching. It's a three-part series. This is part number one. Here we find Stephen's being introduced. Next week, we're going to look at the first part of Stephen's sermon. And then Stephen's going to die by stoning. Saul is there, and he says, yes, stone Stephen, kill him. Kill that blasphemer. And he's watching. Stephen see, or excuse me, Saul sees the face of Stephen. Listen to what 
Saul wrote after his conversion when his name was changed to Paul. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 14. He says that so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Saul, who was watching Stephen go through this false accusation, Saul, who would say yes with the rocks in their hands as they kill Stephen, later writes, you ought to live in such a way as you appear to be lights in a world in a crooked and perverse generation. I wonder, when he wrote that in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I wonder, did he see the face of an angel that Stephen was reflecting? Oh, I'm not saying that we should get upset when things don't go the way we think they should go. I would love for us to be loving one another in such a way the scripture says love one another and that we could still go on people's porches and knock on people's doors and sit down and have an intelligent conversation about Jesus Christ and, and what true religion really is in regards to Jesus being the Messiah. We clearly understand that just from a scientific perspective, everybody wants, wants everything to be scientific. Well, what do you do with the fact that we're living in the law of the second uh, uh, the thermodynamics, the second law of thermodynamics? Uh, there's no doubt that there's more chaos today than there was 20 years ago. So, so just from a sheer uh, scientific perspective, we're not getting any better. What do we need? We need a Savior. Who is the Savior? Jesus. What has he called us to? For some, we've been called to die. Derek, when you read the life of Stephen, it never records, there is not recorded one convert in Stephen's life. God called Stephen to die. Ruth Bell, when she was a child, would get on her knees and pray and ask God, would you please send bandits into my home, kidnap me, and behead me for Jesus Christ, for your name's sake. Could I just share this? The closest thing that I've been to persecution... The closest thing that I've been to persecution was in the Dominican Republic. Uh, I was in the Dominican Republic. I was in front of a Catholic church. We were witnessing to individuals. This guy was speaking English to me, and I found an English speaker, and we were debating back and forth. He was so enraged with me. He had balled his fist up, and he was ready to punch me in the face. And I thought, here it comes. I'm about to get punched for Jesus' sake. It's going to be good. Black eye for Jesus. I'm going to go home. It's going to be good. The missionary, Ken Bellucci, stepped in between us and, and interjected in the conversation and put me up back on the bus. That's the closest I've ever been to any type of physical persecution. Now, I, have, I, get, I get ugly emails. I get ugly uh, letters. I, I get ugly. I get, you don't, I mean, I get them, okay? But it pales in comparison to what others are going through. 
And the bottom line is simply this. That's what God's called me to. Here's the question I want you to ponder today. What has God called you to do? It's called the Great Commission for a reason. We cooperate with the mission that God has set us on. And that's to be a light in the dark world. And if you're going to be a light in today's world, it will not go with the culture. You just can't do it. You can't do it. You can't read the Word of God from a historical, grammatical form of interpretation. There's only one interpretation, many applications. You cannot approach the Scriptures from that perspective and agree with the culture and the direction we're going in. Something has to be done. We need a move of God as we prepare for persecution. Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've been pondering that question. What is it that God has called me to? What is it that God has called me to? And as you think about that, you think about, you know what? I've never been truly saved. I've never given my life to Jesus. And if I were to die today, I'd split hell wide open. Brothers and sisters, today's the day of your salvation. My heart's desire was that you would see into the scriptures and you would realize that like these Hellenistic Jews, they needed Jesus and they prayed. And many of them came to Christ. But those that were tied up in religion would not inherit the kingdom of God because their religion ruled greater than the righteous acts of Jesus who died on Calvary's cross. So why don't you today quit running from the Lord and come back to Jesus? So how would I do that? From your heart to God's heart, would you say something like this? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And today I repent of my sins trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where, once again, we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.